I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, He has made mention of my name. And He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In His quiver, He has hidden me. And He said to me, You are My servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent My strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely My just reward is with the Lord and My work with My God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to whom man despises, to whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. And He has chosen you. God's Word for the people of God. You may be seated. The offering's not the only thing I've forgotten. I'm having a time of it, aren't I? I'm a little tired this morning. I worked late on this one for us that we might have a really good message and I hope that's the case. That's my prayer. When I was uh, younger, I used to do different kinds of crafts in Bible school, and uh, it got me doing things on my own as well. One of the things I liked, please keep this confidential, was needlepoint. 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 I liked it. And I'm just now confessing that. And I, I liked it because you could make these patterns and change the threads out for different colors and make pictures. When I did it, it was with yarn and screen from a window. Or a screen door. Real sturdy stuff. And then my sisters came home and they had thread and real intricate patterns, and they were making stuff that was really impressive, and I never did it again. <laughs> but when I was working on it, to change the colors, you had to tie one off and then go to the next color. Well, on the picture, you don't want the, the knot on the top. You tie it off on the bottom. Now imagine, if you will, a one made out of thread with hundreds and hundreds of tie-offs. My yarn one may have had like 
20 tie-offs or so. And if you looked at it upside down, it looked like a few knots in there, like I'd made a mistake. You flipped it over, it looked nice. Well, same way with the ones my sisters had. They had these beautiful, um, what do they call them, precious moments, ones that they would make for the family. And each person in the family got one. And if you looked at it while they were making it, you, they wouldn't show you the front, but they'd show you the back, and all you could see was a mess. And I'd say, I don't know what you're doing, but I hope it doesn't look like that when you're done. But you see, she knew what it was going to look like. She had the pattern. She had the plan. She knew what each color was. She had seen the finished product in a brochure and was making it. All I saw was the bottom side and a bunch of threads with knots. Have you ever known your life to be kind of like that? That you'd like to see the top side picture the way God sees it, how it all unfolds and what it's supposed to look like, what the pattern's supposed to be. But all you can see is a bunch of mess and a bunch of knots tying you up. Wondering where to go, what to do. It's kind of like when God shows us the world or is trying to show us the world, He shows us just one small corner. I don't think we could handle seeing the universe all at once. I have theories on that. But I'll just say it this way. When God was speaking to Job, and Job was ready to repent before God, God said something to Job and it really messed my thinking up for a while. He said, Am I the one? Were you there, Job? When I put the stars in line in Orion's belt. You see, that messed me up because I thought, wait a minute. God sees all the stars at once, and He sees all the stars and their differences and their distances. He can't look straight to Him. Why would He say that it looks like what Job sees? Why would God look at it from a worldly perspective when He can go on the other side at any angle and look at that belt and it won't look like a belt to anybody else but people on earth? And I thought, you know, maybe there's something wrong with this picture, but, but why is it that God's using Job's frame of reference to challenge him? Why can't he use a big picture to say, you know, there are three stars you call Orion's belt, but I know how far apart they are, and they really don't look like a belt to me. <coughs> and you just think it because you're on that little planet down there, and you see these stars, and you think that looks like a belt. Because your perspective is so limited, Job. But he didn't say that. He said, were you there when I put them there? That's all he said. Because he knew he knew what Job saw and how Job perceived his world. It's true also for you and for me. God knows how we perceive the reality of our lives and the world around us. He has ideas about how to change our perceptions gradually by putting another stitch or thread in there and saying, I want to move you to something else that's creating a bigger picture that you can't see. But we want to argue with God. God, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. If not, I'm not. I want to know how this thing ends. I want to know what you can show me. And God's saying, no, you don't. You couldn't handle the big picture right now. You really couldn't. Because if you knew from the time you were born and you are maybe even up into grade school and high school, they, this is how your life would turn out right now. 
and that all this stuff was going to happen, and, and God told you ahead of time, you'd try to make some of it stop. You would change things because of the way it makes you feel today and the way your life has turned out today. You would say, if I had known then what I know now, I wouldn't have done this. But God says, there's a reason you don't know those things. And there's a reason I'm not telling you because faith says that in all things God works together for good for those that love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Not according to your purpose, His. God has a purpose and we can fit into it. We all try to find our purpose and place. And God said, I have a purpose, why don't you use mine? <laughs> oh, God, you know, I want my purpose. What can I do for you, God? God says, fulfill my purpose. Not yours. But it's interesting because someone once said it like this. That the world that we live in is a great big picture frame. And we live over here in this little corner over here and we think that's all there is. And God's saying, you live in a small section of the world. And by grace, you can have influence on those around you. And by call and election, your circle of influence for God can be bigger. And if by some reason God sees and sees you're rewarded and faithful, your influence is even bigger. What do I mean by that? Look at Jesus. Jesus was God's only begotten Son. Jesus Himself said, I was sent to seek and to save who? The lost sheep of Israel. I've checked my lineage. I don't qualify. If you check your lineage, you probably don't qualify either. Hebrew, Israelite, must be pure. Not impure. Pure bloodline. Can't have switched off. Has to be holy. That's who Jesus came for. To seek and to save those. And when people would come to him and say, but God loves everybody. And he should love me too. And Jesus would say, well said. You see, Jesus knew his direction. But what happened to the lost sheep of Israel? What did they do when Jesus went directly to them? They said this, we don't want a part of what you're offering. Yet when Jesus began to feed the 5,000, heal the sick, bless the many, raise the dead, what did they do? They wanted to anoint him king, didn't they? They wanted to call him king of kings. They wanted him to be their leader. But listen to this. The reason they wanted him to be their leader is so they could get out from under Roman authority. There's always a reason you want somebody to lead you, to guide you. It's so they can re lead you through treacherous waters against enemies that are real. And some that are perceived. Mindsets. Nations. All these things. So if you have a king over your people, that means other people don't have that king. If he's the king of Israel, he's not the king of the Gentiles. 
If he's the king of the Gentiles in Israel, he's not the king of the Assyrians or the Samarians. He's not the king of the other people. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost sheep of Israel, but they have rejected me. And it caused him to grieve. But he grieved not because they rejected him, but because they don't get a part of him at that moment. That they're refusing grace and peace for war. And so, John 3.16 tells us what he does. Y'all know the verse. For God so loved the lost sheep of Israel. Doesn't say it, does it? It says he so loved the world that he gave his only son. But you understand, he had to go to the lost sheep to be refused or rejected to open it up to the world. Peter had to learn that. We talked a little bit about that last week. That the Gentiles are welcome in the kingdom. He had to learn that. He didn't believe that. When this happened, Jesus was no longer just sent to the lost sheep. In His mind, that was His mission. It even says in our passage today, I've come for the redeemed of Jacob, of Israel, to heal and restore the land. But God says, and I, I looked this up. I, I, I couldn't believe it said it in the Scripture. It said, in verse 6, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. It's too small a thing. And I thought, that sounds like God's telling He's being trivial. <laughs> Jesus, you're being trivial. Uh, but you sent me to all sheep of Israel to seek and to save me. He said, I sent you to them knowing you'd be rejected. I'm not sending you to them. That's just what you think your task is. My task is bigger than your task. My task is the world. I'm starting you small to get you big. You be obedient to the lost sheep. And if they re- when they refuse you, you get the world. But, if you so fall into the temptation to be the king of the Jews, and you choose to leave the Jews and the Jews alone, I cannot use you as my son. Because you have chosen kingship over the Jews over kingship over the universe. You know how hard a temptation that is? Here and now is the greatest temptation we face. Not knowing for sure that there's a payoff. You look at all throughout the books of Kings and Chronicles and you see that the kings are trying to do things and run the nation, but even with the best kings until one, and, and, and only one, it says that some of the kings who are very good instilled the Sabbaths, the laws, but it says they kept the high places of idols. Which means they still compromised their relationship with God in one area. They didn't want to offend other gods. They didn't want to offend other people's beliefs. And God said to each one of them, you're not the perfect king. You're not the perfect king. And yet, at the end of the time, God says, I'm getting rid of you. You guys wanted to exile. And the king rose up. And said, this king is like no other king. And it was prophesied that during his rule and reign, 
that they would go into captivity. And this king ruled, he, he wiped out the high places. He performed all the things of the book of the law and was faithful to the law throughout his reign. There was nothing he did that wasn't for God. His whole view was, I'm serving God regardless of the cost or the price. And guess what happened? God relented from taking them into captivity during His reign. But the moment He died, a bad king came in and they went into captivity. Why is it that God relented from taking Israel captivity during this faithful king's reign? Because it wasn't about self-interests. It was about God-interests. He didn't know the big picture of whether God would relent from taking them into captivity. He just trusted God regardless. And He did the hard work regardless of consequence. Because He wanted to please God. And His big picture was pleasing God is bigger than pleasing me. We in our society have got it the other way around. If I'm comfortable, if I'm satisfied, if I'm okay, I'll serve God. Once I get uncomfortable, I'm blaming God. It's His fault because my life's messed up. And God's saying, you're just looking small. i got something big for you and you're thinking your life is about whether it's messed up or not. i got something for you to do. And I'm not going to do anything for you, God. You just hurt me. You take my loved ones, my job, my family. You won't pay my bills. What's wrong with you, God? <laughs> God, you say you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Can't you give me a few so I can sell them and buy me a new something or other? God, kind of God are you? Tell me people don't talk kind of ridiculous like that. But the fact of the matter is, we're looking here now. Right now, my life is a mess. Therefore, right now, God doesn't care. Right now, because everything is backward in my thinking, or at least in my life, God isn't real. Or at least, He's not real good. But God so loved the world. And He wants you to do the same. You see, God gets us an idea in our minds, in our hearts, and He says, I'm going to get you in the game. I'm going to get you off the bench in the game. You're going to start doing work for the kingdom and, 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 and you're going to start um, slow. Just to give you a small role. But God, I want to win the game. God's going, let's get you in the game first. <laughs> and He wants to get you into the game because we're called to be game changers, not bench warmers. And you can't change the game if you're not in it. And once you get in the game for God, He changes the game. <laughs> it's what it is. God, alright, you called me to this. I'm going to seek to save the law, chief of the children of Israel. And He goes, I'm changing the game on you. And he's going, I didn't expect that. I, I'm mad you changed the game on me. This is not what I was called to do. You're messing up my ministry. Oh, you've never heard anybody say that, have you? Oh, I started out in ministry in Illinois. God messed all that up. <laughs> Pastor in Alabama Mississippi, God messed all that up. You'd think that maybe he didn't know what he was doing, right? Or maybe just me thinking he didn't know what he was doing. I blame God for all that. 
God, you gave me this ministry and then you took it away. And he said, you really didn't want it in the first place. I said, yes, I did. I was doing it. If you're not passionate about what God's called you to, He knows it. He knows if you're serving with a joyful heart or a bitter spirit. He knows. He knows. You can't change the game if you don't care about the game. And the game is not a game. It's the kingdom of God and the broken and lost people in the world around us. You see, God, once He changes the game, though, He makes the game bigger. Bigger outcomes. More risk. And when He does that... (laughs) I wrote this in my notes. I wasn't going to say this, but let me say it straight and clear. God will blow your mind. You may not have heard a pastor say that before, but God will blow your mind. That means, whoa, what just happened, God? God says, I've just changed the game. I've just changed what you think you're supposed to do. But God, I didn't sign up for that. God says, you didn't sign up for anything. You accepted the call to be obedient. Oh. Oh. I did? Yeah. But Satan gets us into petty thinking, doesn't he? He makes us think, I can't do this or that. I can't do that. It's too hard. It costs too much. I don't have time. It won't work anyway. You see, Satan doesn't want you to think God can use you. Because if you think God can use you, you're going to look for ways He will. (laughs) And wouldn't that be something? Or maybe Satan will tell you, he can use somebody else. You don't have to do this. God didn't call you to use somebody else. He called you because He wanted you. Satan wants you to doubt four things. First, your effectiveness. You can do it, but it's not going to do any good. Not going to change anything. How many people have you heard say, well, I can pray for this person and forgive them, but they're not going to change. You ever heard that? Satan gets you to question your effectiveness. And you'll look at results as soon as you get in. God, I'm doing what you asked me to do, and nothing's changing. Why should I try? If you ever go to marriage counseling, or if you've ever seen a couple in marriage counseling, they'll try for a week and go, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. You haven't even started, you've been doing it for a week. <laughs> marriage is a lifetime commitment, not a one week try. It didn't work. It wasn't effective. They didn't change, God. My spouse is still the same. Hello, I'm going back to what I was doing because your way doesn't work, God. Satan's telling you, it's not effective what God asked you to do. And He'll show you evidence that you want to see so you can quit. He'll give you all the reasons you need to quit. Satan will. God will never give you one. The only reason God will give you a reason to quit is to quit breathing. Did you know the word retire is not in the Scripture? Martyrdom is. That's how most of them got done finishing with their ministry. How do you know you're done? Stoned to death. Hung on a cross. Hung upside down on a cross. Burnt at the stake. So you didn't retire? Oh yeah, that's when I retired. I was done. Well done. Sorry, that wasn't funny. Well, yes, it was. 
I didn't plan that. I didn't write that out. Either. That's a freebie. Um, second thing Satan wants you to doubt is your ability. I can't do that, guy. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I've never done that before. It's bigger than me, God. And Satan can tell you, you're right. You don't have the ability to do that. Don't even try. And we want to just agree so it's safe in our comfort zones. Oh, goodness. Third thing he, Satan wants us to doubt is our usability by God. God can't use you. Look at your past. He can't use you. That's what I told him. That's what I told God. You can't use me. I told him that for seven years before he finally brought me here. So you can't use me. Um, God said, yeah, watch me. Trust me. See who I can choose to use it now. Apostle Paul, a murderer. In prison. And yet, all of us quoting for our life giving verses. A thief? No. A murderer. Killed believers. Persecuted the church, tried to take it down. If someone tried to take it down in the church now, you gonna read what he wrote? No. Of course not. Someone trying to destroy our country. Let's go find his archive and let's find out how wonderful this person is. No. We're not going to do that. You are usable by God. And it's not used as in and then thrown away. It's used and it builds up. God builds you by using you. Not tears you down. It's a difference. The world will use you and throw you away. And the fourth thing Satan wants you to doubt is your value to God. He doesn't really love you. You're in, you're you're dispensable. You're 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 just someone who thought they had a purpose and you thought God wanted you, but you were wrong. All these things happen on our dark days, and God tries to encourage us to say, "Listen, I'm still here." And Satan's going, "He's just saying that he's not got you out of this mess." Look at your current situation and tell God He cares. This is what the devil says to you. And he says it in a voice that sounds familiar. Any of these and the devil has you looking nearsighted at you and your circumstances and your ability rather than God and His ability. Did you forget when God called you He had all the head at His disposal? He said, I gave you my son for you. Why are you saying you're not valuable to me? I have all of heaven in my resources. I've got the fruit of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit to put on you and in you. Why do you think you aren't able? Why do you think you're not enough? God says to you this, I never said any of it to you. I spoke love over you. My banner over you is love, joy, peace. Patience. All those things God has over you. Nothing else. So what are you waiting for? A sign? A word from me? Here you go. Go do it. 
Oh no, I need more specifics. Go do something specific. How about that? Maybe you need permission. Granted. Maybe you need mercy. You're forgiven. In Jesus, you're forgiven. Maybe you need grace. God has given it. Maybe you need a clear-cut definition of what to do in black and white so you can control it. God says, sorry, you're not the boss and you're going to try and mess up my big picture when you try to control the little picture. You see, we as a church and each of us as individuals continue to think small. Close range. We should be thinking that God is using us But we need to ask Him to use us more and more. To raise up what we need in our lives to serve Him with gladness. Today I'm going to ask you to come to the altar rail, if you will, and ask God to forgive you for being nearsighted. For thinking that your situation and your circumstances and all you are and what you think God thinks about you is what limits you in the kingdom. Nothing limits you in the kingdom but your own unwillingness to accept that you matter that you make a difference and God can use you. Maybe you forgot that God put you here to do kingdom work. That's why we are here on earth. That's why God called us here. That's why He raised up this church. Ask Him to raise you up again. Maybe you've forgotten. You've got people right in your own home probably who need to know God is real. Maybe it's you. Maybe you need God to ask you to use you and give you an opportunity to make a difference. Maybe you need to ask Him to make your life have kingdom significance. If not, everything else you ask for is going to be nearsighted, pointless, and like trying to hold the wind in your arms. Even Jesus said, I come for Israel. His father says, no. That's where you start. And in the end, oh, isn't it beautiful? The whole world that God loves includes Israel too. They're not left out. They get a spot at the table too. We all do. God's grace says that your circumstances don't change His big picture. And you have a place in it. When we don't understand that God is trying to move us to a bigger picture image, we remain nearsighted. If you don't know what nearsightedness is, I'll put it to you in a very simple way. Nearsighted means that things in the distance, you can't see them, so they're not important. If I go home without these glasses on my face, I can see y'all's faces. Um, but right now I can't tell which kid is which kid of Keats. And that's important to know, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to call Lincoln Lawson when I know the difference between who's who, right? So, would you want me to drive down the road knowing I can't see their faces clearly from 25 or so feet away 
and you become any other way. Or on the new city next to me, I'm not sure if I'm even in the right lane. Would you like that? Probably not. It means we need a change of our vision spiritually when we can't see the big picture and say, God, give me your eyes to see what's in front of me in terms of where it's relevant for your kingdom. Why? Because you can't see the faces 25 feet away and know that they need God. Because you can't distinguish them from anybody else. And so it doesn't matter to you. Jesus said, I came for the people close by. The lost sheep. And God says, I'm going to hold them. And you're my man. And what did Jesus say? Oh, you know, that's a tough thing. Crucified on the cross. I, you know, I didn't sign up for this. I thought they would just believe me and follow me and then I'd be done with all my... Why didn't they follow me? Isn't that how we want it? Easy? God wants to know you care about the big picture. He wants to know you're more than about your life and your struggle. That you're willing to reach outside of that and say, God, how can I help others even in the midst of this? God, how can I be so short-sighted to miss my neighbor across the street who's dying and broken? And I'm mad at you, God, because you can't use me. We know our task, don't we? I hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today...